Father God, there's none like you. You need nothing, and yet you love us and want us. You don't need our money, but you want us to learn to trust you by tithing and giving. You don't need information, but you call us to pray, to speak to you about our life and our world and ask you to intervene. You are the Almighty, and your word is the Bible. And we're about to open it right now. Holy Spirit, let it be taught rightly. Give us ears that can hear and eyes that can see and a faith that responds by saying, yes, Lord. And we promise to give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, go ahead and be seated. We are in the midst of a really weird world. Weird in comparison to what it has been. Our children's education has been disrupted. Our lives have been disrupted, there's been violence, there is hate, there is anger, and there uh, is, is uh, unease. And thankfully there's a vaccine coming, but there are so many wounds that have been exposed and created. And in the midst of this very broken world, God has called us, his people, to be and to build his church. And the only way we can do that is if we are thriving. Well, what does it mean to be thriving? Remember, thriving is having the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's commands while, while all the while trusting outcomes to God's capable care. Friends, we can be a thriving people. And in the series right now, we're talking about thriving in difficult days. And we began this year, we began this series looking at 2 Chronicles 7, 14, understanding the kind of God we worship. He's the kind of God, if we will humble ourselves and turn to him, he will bring healing. We looked at 1 John 1, 8 through 10 and how that happens. Last week, we, we did a little bit of a, a survey of history, realizing that God's people, Israel, did not humble themselves. They did not turn to God, so they were exiled. We jumped into 2 Chronicles 36 and we saw the ramifications for their sin, the consequences for their sin, but God's grace, God's grace to, to raise up prophets like Jeremiah who said it would be 70 years and then the God would raise up his people and return a remnant to rebuild Jerusalem and how Isaiah the prophet 150 years before Cyrus was, was, was even known Named him by name in Isaiah 45.1, Isaiah 44.28, twice the name Cyrus is mentioned by the prophet Isaiah saying that Cyrus specifically would release God's people to come back and to build Jerusalem and it happened. And, and that happened in Ezra. The, the altar was built, which means the people were saved because there was a blood sacrifice that was made to, to, to pay the penalty for sin so they could be saved. And then the temple was built so they could gather as God's people in worship, but there were no walls. There were no walls around the city, which meant that the people were still susceptible to enemies, just as we are today. Though saved by grace and gathering as God's people, we, we know that the devil is, he's roaring about looking to devour. And we talked about last week needing to build that wall of faithfulness. And today what we're going to look at is, is the response that we need to have as we deal with the realities of our world. We, we need to understand with a realistic perspective. We talked about that last week, looking at Nehemiah chapter one, verses one through three. Today, we're going to look at verse four. And we're gonna look at the, the realistic response that we need to have. Now, again, let me, let me warn you. 
the world is going to say, and some of you are going to say that this is a drastic response. And that's actually why I titled the message the way I did. That, that we need to have a drastic response. But let me assure you that what the Bible is teaching and what, what we're going to look at today is very basic, it's very fundamental to the Christian faith. And if it seems drastic, you need to understand you're looking at it from a very worldly perspective because the world would say what God is telling us is drastic. But it's not, friends. It's very basic. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm not going to typically do this, but today I'm going to, uh, to go back and begin in verse 1 and read to verse 4. Our focus verse is verse 4. That's what I'm going to preach from. But uh, I want to get the whole uh, section there just so that we can have a sense of, of what's going on. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. We're in Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven." The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's words and the ears that would hear and respond in faith. Nehemiah's response was not drastic. It was biblical. But it was drastic in a worldly sense. The, the, the Bible commands us to respond to reality. Three things. One, intellectual engagement. Just to see what's happening. To be honest about what is true. What are the facts? And then emotional engagement. To let our hearts be moved by the facts. To, to be bothered by what we see is true. What we know is real. And then to, to spiritually engage with Jesus Christ. And what he's done and what he's doing. And to pursue God's will. The world thinks that's drastic. Some of you may think that's drastic because the world tells us to respond to reality by intellectually checking out or playing pretend. Just pretend we're okay. Tell each other we're okay. Act like it's okay. Go buy something. Go eat something. Go watch something. Pretend that the world is not as it is. Pretend that everything's fine. Live in a pretend world. And as far as emotional engagement, don't do that. No, no, no. Numb yourself. Get drunk. Use a drug. Do whatever you have to do not to feel whatever it is you're feeling. And, and, and don't get concerned. Don't over-concern yourself with reality. Don't, that's what the world says. The world says, look, you know, get in a relationship. Even if it's just virtual. Even if it's just, even if it's just sin on a screen. Just do that so that you don't feel what you're feeling. What's so heavy and hard. The world says, Live in a pretend world. Don't, don't engage honestly, mentally. Don't, don't engage emotionally. And if you're going to engage spiritually, here's what the world says. Just engage in spirituality. Have you heard that term, spirituality? I've heard so many people say, well, I'm not a religious person, but I'm a spiritual person. Let me tell you what spirituality means. Spirituality means that you're not dealing with, with truth. You're dealing with feelings and you're basically engaging in ideas and rituals that make you feel spiritual. It's spirituality. 
It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible is very clear. We are to engage our minds, to allow it to move our hearts, and then to walk with Jesus. What the world is telling us to do is irresponsible, and it's dangerous. You know, our, our vehicles these days, if you have a newer vehicle, I, I, I recently got rid of my Jeep after driving it since 2004. You know, it didn't have a lot of sensors on it. They had to explain to me sensors. What are these sensors you speak of? There are sensors on vehicles now that tell you when something's wrong. My oldest son had a, had a car and this, this light kept coming up saying something's wrong. So I took it to the dealership and he said, your sensor is broken and it's going to be more expensive to fix than the car is worth. And I said, well, that's not good. He said, no. He said, we'll just put a sticker over that sensor so it doesn't bother you. I said, well, wait, wait, wait. well what if something really does go wrong? How will I know? Oh, you won't. Well, that's not, that's not, that's not good. You know, when I was, when I was a, a kid, my first car was a Butte, a 1979 Ford Fiesta. Some of you have heard me talk about it. The thing was tiny. It was so small, my friends, when I was in school, in high school, my friends would take it sometimes and they would pick it up and move it to a different parking spot just so I couldn't find it, just to mess with me. Tiny car. And it literally ran on a cigarette butt. The carburetor wouldn't stay open. So I would, I would get a cigarette butt and I would jam it down in there to keep it open. And, and every few weeks or months, the cigarette butt would burn out and start going. And I'd pull on the side of the road and I'd walk until I found another cigarette butt and I'd jam it down in there. It literally ran on a cigarette butt. That's, that's not good. What I should have done is I should have taken this drastic step to go to a mechanic and pay to have it fixed. But guess what? I couldn't pay to have it fixed. And, and, and I, I, I couldn't do it. And, and you know what's happening in a, in a lot of people's lives right now? Here's what many of us are waking up is, is to the reality that we can't fix what's broken. Now, what we need to do is we need to go to our maker. We need to go to the one who made us, who knows us, who loves us. And we need to ask him to fix us and to fix our world. Can I tell you some good news about that trip, about making that drastic step to go to our maker? He's already paid for the fix. The good news of God is that he has paid fully for what will fix and heal our hearts and our lives. It says in 1 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself, look at that, as a ransom. He paid the penalty. He paid the cost for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Christ died to pay for sin. He's paid for the fix. We need only go to him and yield to him. And the only way we'll do that is if we'll be honest. If we'll engage mentally with what is true. And what is true is this world is not as it should be. This is not God's design. God's design is harmony. The reason the world is broken is because of sin. And our only hope of pursuing and recovering God's design, living out the lives that God made for us, is we have to repent. We can't trust in ourselves or any other created thing. We have to repent and believe in the gospel, believe in what God has done, that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for sin in his death. He was raised on the third day. He is now alive and he will live in us. That's the good news. He's paid for it. He will heal us. He will fix us. And then he will change us. Because the moment we repent and believe, and we are bought by the blood of Jesus, that fix, 
we become the dwelling place of God. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now that sounds drastic to worldly people. To those who don't believe in the gospel, they think, wait a minute. You're trusting your life to something or someone you can't see. Based on a book, the authors, you don't know. And this is your answer to the world's problems. This is your answer to the fix that's going to bring healing and hope. And those who follow Jesus Christ say, yup. I know it sounds drastic. I know it sounds maybe crazy to your ears, but this is the truth. See, friends, here's the deal. We have to decide. Are we going to be worldly or are we going to be disciples of Jesus? It comes, it's a real simple question. Are we going to be worldly people or are we going to be disciples of Jesus? A worldly person looks at our broken world and broken lives and here's what they say. But I, but I, that's the wrong place to start, but that's where worldly people have to start and that's where they have to stay. But I, what can I do? And here's the excuse, but I can't fix it, but I can't afford it, but I can't believe it. But disciples of Jesus, that's not what we say. No, no, no. We talked about this last week. What do disciples of Jesus say? We say, but God, but God can, but God can fix it, but God can afford it, but God can be trusted. So which one are you? Are you a but I or a but God? Are you trusting in you and what you can do? Are you ready to trust God? Are you ready to obey God? Are you ready to walk in truth? You got to understand, only disciples of Jesus thrive. And what is thriving? Thriving is having the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey his commands, all the while trusting the outcomes to his capable care. Are you thriving? Really? Or are you just surviving? You just getting by. God calls us to pursue and recover his design. And that is thriving. That is an amazing way of life. Thriving disciples. We respond differently than, than, than the worldly people. Worldly people think thriving disciples are drastic. Now some of you this morning are... What the Bible is going to teach this morning, some of you are going to say, that is drastic. That's that's over the top. You have to understand that's worldly thinking. That's but I thinking. Be willing to look at this text and say, I can't, but God can. And I will obey live like a disciple of Jesus. Now, some of you can't do that because you're not a disciple of Jesus. And I want you to think about what that means. And maybe today become a disciple of Jesus rather than a worldly person. But for those who claim Christ, friends, this is basic. This is basic to our faith. God can do it. Let's dig into verse four. Let's understand in response to difficult days, thriving disciples, disciples of Jesus will do three things. And the first is this. In response to difficult days, thriving disciples will soberly reflect 
to gain understanding. Soberly reflect to gain understanding. Look what it says in verse 1. Look what, look what Nehemiah did. He didn't react. He, he reflected. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down. This is intellectual engagement. We are so prone to give a quick, heated response in the emotion of the moment and say things that are bad and do things that are hurtful. God calls us, no, 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 take time and to process the situation. What did Nehemiah do? He, he was willing to hear, he heard the words and he sat rather than hear and act. We hear, we hear as disciples of Jesus with biblical ears and, and we see with biblical eyes. We think biblically. When, when Nehemiah heard he did not react. He began to reflect. Our, our world is filled with way too many people who are reacting without reflecting. And as disciples of Jesus, we need to sit. We need to look at the word. We, we need to process with our minds what's going on before we do anything. The, the old carpenter's uh, saying is so wise. Measure twice, cut once. So many are cutting and then measuring and wondering what happened. Why, why did I lose that relationship? Why did I hurt those people? Why is all this pain happening? Too many people are reacting, not enough are reflecting. When we reflect, we need, we need to always consider God's word. We need to be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. We need to be like the men of Issachar, 1 Chronicles 12, 1 Chronicles 12, 32. Men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. To be like Issachar, the men of Issachar who know what to do, know how to live. We have to be like the Bereans. We have to study the word of God so we can think biblically. Now I, I already can sense, I can already hear in your little brains worldly thinking. But I can't. I can't understand the Bible 66 books? I mean, where do I start? I, I can't read this much. I can't take that kind of time each day. I, I can't. But God can. God can help you. God will help you to know and love and obey his words. You know, when I was young, when I was a kid, food that was green was weird, right? I mean, unless it was filled with chocolate and it had an M on it, that's just weird, right? See, what happened when I, when I went to school to play ball is that we didn't get to choose what we ate. And if you didn't eat what was in front of you, you didn't eat. And you know what they had a lot of? Broccoli and green beans Ugh. and okra. But praise God, it was fried. I mean, it was the South, all right? Do you know what some of my favorite foods are now? Broccoli. And green beans and fried okra. Praise God. You know what I did? I learned to love it. I, I, lear I, I acquired a taste. Some, some of God's children need to quit making excuses and acquire a taste for God's word. You know what my favorite part of my day is every day? 
is when I sit in my chair, I especially like it when Charlie's been sitting in my chair and gets it warm for me and I tell him to move and he whines and I get to sit in my chair with the word of God and a cup of coffee and just talk to Jesus and have Jesus talk to me. Friends, I didn't just wake up one day and all of a sudden understand the Bible. I had to learn to read it. And I want to tell somebody, you need to get help, all right? And there's a lot of great resources out there. Let me tell you about my favorite one. I wrote it a few years ago. It's called A Year of Hope. And I love it because all it does is it teaches you to read the Bible. It teaches you what the Bible says. Someone messaged me uh, a few weeks ago and they said they're starting their third time through. Said the first time, they didn't get a lot. Second time, they got more. Third time, they believe it's going to be the charm. This is the year they're going to get it. Friends, if it's not my devotion, get one. Get a devotion. Go to Amazon. Spend 15 bucks. And then 15 minutes each day. It sounds like a Geico commercial, right? But I'm telling you. If you will spend 15 minutes every day with a good help in reading the Bible, one year from now, you will be so much further along in understanding the Bible. The only way you're going to get it is by reading it. Reading it every day. Find a system that works for you. But realize, soberly reflecting to gain understanding, it requires the truth of God's word. And make sure you're getting what you're supposed to out of it. You say, well, how do I know if I'm getting what I'm supposed to get out of it? The result, the result of right biblical reading is confident humility. Those words don't usually go together, do they? Confident humility. But what you do is is the more you read the Bible, the more you become confident in God and his power and his grace and his love, and the more humbled you are by, by your own sin and God's great love for your soul. You know, we we sing, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain, I I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, depends my soul, my life, my all. It's a demand. Friends, that's confident humility. It's a life that says, God, you are awesome and I'm not. But you love me and that makes me confident. I'm able to thrive because of what you say about me. You know what the greatest problem in our nation is today? The greatest problem in our nation is that we are filled, we are a people who wants to examine everybody else's sin and judge them rather than examine our own sin and deal with it. You know what helps us examine our sin and deal with it? It's the Bible. Getting in God's word is going to be uncomfortable because it's going to show you that you're not right and God is. And that's going to create a confident humility. And it's going to do something to you. Once that happens, it's it's going to move your heart. When you not only think about your life and the life of the people around you according to what God's word says, it's going to move your heart. There's going to be an affection. And that's the second thing that happens. Again, this is not drastic. This is basic biblical Christianity. The world says it's drastic. It's not. In response to difficult days, thriving disciples will openly mourn, openly mourn over the world's brokenness. Openly mourn, not fake it openly mourn. Look what Nehemiah did. This is, we read this too fast and we miss it. 
look what Nehemiah did. He, he engaged mentally, and then look, and then wept and mourned for days. This wasn't, hey guys, give me a minute. This wasn't a 10 minute step aside, okay, I'm, I'm okay, I'm, I'm good. Days, he's openly mourning, he's weeping over the situation. Friends, we must begin by thinking about our condition and that of others and then allow ourselves to feel the grief and sorrow that come with that understanding. Having, having identified the seriousness of our own sin and what it does to us, we need to look at what is happening in our world and weep. Weep for those who are hurting. Friends, what, what, when was the last time you honestly wept over someone else's situation? and sin. I mean, I know we weep over the fact that we can't go to restaurants and we got to wear a mask. I know we weep over the not being able to see people we want to see and not be able to do all the things that we do. When was the last time we wept over lost people? This week, I, like many of you, we were impacted by COVID. We, we didn't get sick, but people close to us died. Yesterday afternoon, I was running, and I was thinking about the, the people who are dying. You know, the three people we knew, they celebrated Christmas happy as can be, completely fine. You know, when I look in this room, I think about many of you are well right now. Some of you won't see Valentine's Day. Some of the people you know may not see Valentine's Day. It's, it's a stunning thought, isn't it? It can be crippling. And what really hit me yesterday while I was running is to think about some enter into eternal bliss to the presence of the Lord. And others see Jesus and hear him say, depart from me, I never knew you. And, and most people don't want to think about that. Even right now, I know there's a natural inclination and some of you say, oh, he's talking about hell. I don't want to talk about hell. Oh, here he goes, preaching on hell. I don't want to think about hell. I get it. It's real. When was the last time you wept over it? When was the last time you pictured someone you love that you know is lost there? And I'm not talking about a minute. I'm talking about Nehemiah wept. People that are living without Christ, the consequences are sometimes immediate, losing marriages, family, friends. They hurt other people. They miss out on peace and the hope of Jesus. When, my, when Nehemiah sat and reflected, he wept and mourned. And I have to tell you, if I had been Nehemiah's friend, I probably would have been the worst thing in the world for him. Because I probably would have said, Nehemiah, look, man, don't think about that. Look, you got a great job. You got great friends. Look, you're in the Citadel. You're in Susa. Man, you're the man. Don't think about that. And don't, look, those walls have been broken down for over a hundred years, dude. This isn't new information. These people have been in trouble for a long time. Don't, don't upset yourself. And that would have been really bad. You know, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 3, 4, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn 
and a time to dance. You know, we often take time to laugh and dance. We go to movies, we go to ball games. Those are the things we want. How often do we sit and think about the seriousness of sin? I'm not a melancholy sort. I'm quite optimistic. But that does not excuse me from needing to allow my heart to be burdened. And you know where that burden comes from? Is having relationships with other people. You know what what the easy thing to do is not get close to people. You know, get in your world, get your thing straight, and, and just try to make it. You know what God calls us to? To love each other. Can I tell you a little secret about every single person that's a member of Living Hope? Every single one of them are either dealing with anxiety or anger or fear in some significant way right now. Every single one of us. And for weeks now, I've been telling you, please, men, get with men. Women, get with women. If you're in a small group, guys get together, girls get together. You need to have other people. But you know what I'm hearing? You don't need that. I don't know if you're just smarter than than the rest of us. I don't know. You just got it all figured out. But can I just give you a real quick heads up? Maybe you don't think you need it, but can I assure you that there are people that need you? Now, again, in a couple of weeks, guys, I'm going to get together with you Thursday morning early, and I'm going to beg you to connect with other men. And ladies, I'm going to get together with you Friday night, and I'm going to beg you to connect. And I know a bunch of you aren't going to come because it's a drastic response, isn't it? But I don't need it. But I don't feel comfortable. But I fill in your excuse. But God commands you. But God calls you to connect. God calls you to care. God calls you to engage in his word and in relationships with other people so that you weep for them, so that you pray with them, so that you care for them. Again, you know what's going to happen if you do this? If you connect and and you really become a part of what God's doing in in a church family and really have those relationships, here's the right response. Here's what you should anticipate. Prayer. Lots and lots of prayer. Because the more people you know and the more hurt you're aware of, the more you pray. My list of prayers is so long right now. I don't finish most mornings. I've started putting groups together saying, Lord, you know this group and what they need because there's so many needs. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And as he mentally engaged and emotionally engaged, he spiritually engaged. And this is the third thing. In response to difficult days, thriving disciples will fervently fast and pray for God's movement. Again, I know, so drastic, right? Fasting, praying. Friends, this is spiritual engagement. Prayer is the greatest power on the planet. James chapter five, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Friends, when we pray, what we're doing is we're getting involved with what God's already said he's gonna do. We get involved with asking him for what his promise to say he's already gonna do. We get involved with, with seeing him miraculously uh, turn on and, and tune into to what's happening with his power. Please understand, uh, please get this. Nobody has powerful prayers. 
As a matter of fact, let me just tell you, if you're praying with me, the bigger the words, the more nervous I get. So many people say, oh, I just can't pray out loud. Why? No one's impressed with your words. There's no such thing as a powerful prayer. You know what makes prayer powerful? Who you're praying to. You know how God wants us to pray to him? Like a kid. God wants us to come to him as children and to talk to him like our father. Call me crazy, but go read Matthew chapter six. It's called the Lord's Prayer. Our, what is it? Help me on that one. I, you know, sometimes I get the versions. What does it say? Our father. He wants us to come to him as his children and talk to him. Can I assure you There is nothing powerful about your words. You know what makes prayer powerful? The person we pray to. And our God is all powerful. There is no limit to what he can do. He is the great I am. He is the almighty. And what makes prayer powerful is God. Friends, pray. Pray believing what God can do. And the best way to do it is just pray. Say, well, I need to get a study on prayer. Go to Matthew 6. Lord's Prayer. Don't pray the words and think that's prayer. It's an outline for how to pray. Listen, pray. And and then, yeah, go to the Word. How did Jesus pray? How did Moses pray? How did Paul pray? How did the, the Psalters pray? How did they pray? And then get a hero. You don't know who my hero is? My prayer hero is George Mueller. George Mueller, what did he say? Never give up praying until the answer comes. You want to read a great story? You want to read someone that will inspire? Go get, get George Mueller's biography. It inspires me to prayer like nothing else. Because this is a man who prayed. And we also need to add, I know this is drastic, fasting. The Bible is clear that fasting is a normal part of a godly life. And the, the, the blessings on fasting are too numerous to count. Let me just tell you four things, all right? And don't worry about writing these down. I posted them on, on social media just a little while ago. So here's four things on how to do it. When you're fasting, set a time for it. Here we are in 2021. I don't, don't answer this question, but I do wonder how many of us have on our calendar set times for fasting, set a time. Now, don't get crazy. I'm going to fast for 40 days. You're going to die. Miss a meal. Start with a meal and go from there. Second thing, speak as little as possible about it when you're doing it. My my family will only know I'm fasting if it's more than a day because then we got to alter some meal situations. Tell no one except God. Third, every time you feel a hunger pain, pray. That's what it's for. It's a constant reminder to pray and be specific in your prayer. And then the last thing is you're going to feel weak. So in your prayer, ask for strength. Say, God, this is my real situation. I'm honestly always this weak. I need your strength working through me. And that's what fasting and prayer does. It teaches us reality. It teaches us how weak we really are. I mean, think about it, friends. Think about how weak of a creature we are that we need to sleep and eat as much as we do. Don't go without sleep. That's terrible. I don't see anywhere in scripture where it says to fast or sleep. I don't see that anywhere. Don't do that. It's bad. Take a nap today. It's the Lord's day. 
I can't command it, but I would. But fast. Fast. And pray. Now, I get it. Some of you are thinking, but I can't. I can't engage mentally. I can't engage emotionally like this. I can't engage spiritually. That's the world talking. You need to think, feel, and live like a disciple of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, there's way too much worldliness within us. And we think way too much of ourselves because of it. Father, I know there are some here right now who need to repent and believe the gospel and be saved. And I pray right now they will talk to you and just say, God, please forgive me. Save me. And then, Lord, they need to be baptized as some who are Christians here even now need to be baptized because you command it. But God, even now, I pray that you will save them. Father, I pray for brothers and sisters in Christ that you love. We are your children but if we're honest, we're, we're worldly in our thinking. And we think that Nehemiah's response was drastic. It's not. It's biblical. Friends, in the quietness of your heart, right there where you're sitting, get real with God right now. Invite the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, am I, am I thinking about this as a disciple of Jesus or am I thinking like a worldly person? Am I in the word? Do I weep over lost people? Am I praying and fasting? If not, you're, you're not in obedience. Repent right now and commit yourself to obedience. It's not drastic. It's normal. Father God, at Living Hope, we say we believe the Bible. Make us those who pray and study your word. We say that we love and we do, God, but we, do we mourn for those who are lost and on their way to hell? And are we praying for them? And are we, are we fasting for you to work and to move? Lord, this is normal. This is a normal response. Give us the faith. Give us the love. Give us the discipline to do what you command us to do. And we will give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen.